Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 97 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. Today is December 23rd, 2009, almost the end of 2009, almost Christmas time. And we're doing the show uh, remotely today. I'm in uh, at my fiance's house in, uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. So we have a little bit different setup. Hopefully everything works out okay. But we still have the coach Harvey Hyde on the line. We're going to talk to him, and we'll talk to Dan Mikey a little bit later, get to some of your questions. What's going on, Coach? How are you? Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. The whole package to you down there in Nashville. Do you have your cowboy hat on and boots and a big buckle and everything? No, but they, uh, my birthday was yesterday, and the, her parents took me out for my birthday at this uh, steakhouse, Demos, I think it's called, in Nashville. And a whole group of people with big cowboy hats came in. I felt it felt really southern. It was a lot of fun. Yep, go on by and make sure you look at Titan Stadium right by the river there. It's absolutely beautiful. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, we we drove by it and stuff. I've, I haven't been there, but we you know we drove by there. It's pretty cool. Really nice. Everybody sort of uh, tailgates around the river there, and sometimes most people walk to the game from uh, Nashville downtown, and it's just a great atmosphere, and you know. It's a, it's a great country. It's a great country down there. So, Ryan, enjoy yourself and uh, have a good time. And, of course, it is the holiday season, plus it's the bowl season during the holiday season. There's a lot of good things happening, bad things happening, a lot of surprises, wild games, a lot of coaching changes going on. There's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. We'll get to all that. we got some questions. I wanted to thank our sponsor, sctickets.com. Uh, definitely, if you have any of the bowl games you want to go to, the ones down in San Diego, uh, if you want to go to the Emerald Bowl, definitely go to sctickets.com and they'll they'll hook you up there. Our buddy Curtis has been really nice with us sponsoring this segment, so we appreciate that. And uh, Coach, are you going to go to any bowl games, or are you just going to be watching them all at home? Oh, no, no, no. I'll be going to the bowl game. Uh, I'll be going to the uh, Rose Bowl game. In fact, I'm going to be emceeing and hosting the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies on the Rose Bowl games, and they sure 
travel well, the enthusiasm is up, the fever's up, the tickets are unbelievable, you can't get a ticket. And, you know, you mentioned Southern California Ticket Service, they are in Pasadena. So if anybody's going to have a ticket to either of those events, it, it's going to be USC. It's going to be Southern California Ticket Service, which can help you out. It, it'd, be, it'd be great. They're going to be great, great games. For sure, Coach. And uh, we'll enjoy watching all those, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun as as the pseudo-mayor of Pasadena. <laughs> Everyone loves you over there. Um, let's get to... The only thing, you know, oh. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to mention this, because a lot of people don't know who's being inducted this year into the Hall of Fame of the Rose Bowl. And, you know, I just want to give these people credit. There's going to be two people from the Big Ten this year. John Hicks, the great offensive tackle that played at Ohio State and started three times in the Rose Bowl game. He blocked for Archie Griffin who won the Heisman, Heisman Trophy two years in a row. Barry Alvarez, football ah. coach, and now the athletic director from the University of Wisconsin is being inducted. And then also Tom Hansen, who's the retiring uh, commissioner of the Pac-10. He was the commissioner of the Pac-10 for 26 years, is being inducted. And uh, it's going to be great. Uh, they're going to get a Hall of Fame jacket, a trophy. They're going to get an autograph football of themselves. And they're also going to ride in the Rose Parade this year which is something new, and then they're going to be honored during the third quarter during the timeout in the Rose Bowl and be introduced to the crowd. So I, I just wanted to say that because a lot of people don't see that behind-the-scenes stuff of what's really happening. and They don't write about it a lot. I haven't seen it in any of the local newspapers. So right here on uscfootball.com, I wanted to pass that information out. Well, we appreciate it, Coach. And I want to get to some team stuff. Uh, there's been some discouraging news. We're gonna get. We're gonna talk with Dan Wykey, who's up there in the Bay Area right now. Um, we're gonna after practice the, on their Wednesday practice in the morning. We're gonna talk to him, and so we'll get that on the second part of the podcast. But you know, there was some some bad news, obviously for USC fans. A couple, you know, some of the seniors aren't gonna be able to play. Guys that are academically ineligible is kind of disappointing. Um, also, there's, you know, uh, Scott Wolf reported that Damian Williams is going to go pro. We're going to have more information on that. I mean, it looks really likely, but I don't, we don't believe that that's what he said. Dan Wykey was actually talking to him where, but we'll talk to Dan about that. But, you know, there's, there's a good chance that Damian Williams will go pro either way. But just with some of the guys, maybe starting with the academical, academic ineligibilities, Coach, I mean, how demoralizing is that for a team, and especially a guy like Anthony McCoy, who's, been one of the most consistent weapons on offense not having him there for your true freshman quarterback it's got to be discouraging for the guys well how do you like losing your most valuable player and that's exactly what happened in the way i used to approach it as a coach i used to say well uh, yes uh, academically he's gone i used to say well he blew his knee out so he can't play as far as trying to justify it in your mind otherwise you'll go absolutely ballistic thinking about how a senior and how a your top player is not academically eligible. You just wonder if the young man's been going to class. You just wonder what is the situation. How can it get to this point where these type of things happen? And they do happen. You see, they happen at UCLA. They happen at Alabama. They happen at Texas. They happen at all the schools, okay? And uh, it's very difficult to, to be able to cope with this. One, you can't. Two, it makes it more difficult. Three, you start to say, wow, man, that's really quite a hit. It's been a very difficult month for USC football with the loss to Arizona and, and a lot of these other things that have come up uh, regarding the McKnight thing and now the three uh, ineligible players and then Williams today as far as uh, the rumors on him coming out and so on. It's, and, and I think there's one way to solve this. And of course, that's a big win in the game. Now, 
I think it's important that USC plays well in the game against Boston College because I think it's really going to make a statement. This is a statement game for them on where the point of their football season is and their football program, not just their season, but their program. Uh, what team is going to show up? Well, it better be the right team. That shouldn't be a question. And as far as what the importance of the game is, it shouldn't be a question. It rolls into recruiting. It rolls into everything for the new season. And uh, this team uh, really uh, has got to be focused. And I think if this team isn't focused again after just winning two of their last five games, then you've got to really look and say, what's going on? What is going on that a team with so many blessed, great student-athletes that you can have so many different things happening? Now, of course, remember, I want to point this out to our listeners. If McCoy, Spicer, and um, who's the other one that's ineligible? Jeremy, the other name, I forgot it. Uh, 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 oh, Tyron Smith. Tyron Smith is the other right, one. Yeah, yeah, right. If they'd all got four roles this semester, would you have heard about it? No, you wouldn't have heard about it. If they'd have all been on the dean's list, would you have heard about it here before the bowl game? No, you wouldn't have heard about it. So remember, what happens, people pick up on the negatives, and everything goes on. On the Mike McKnight situation, if McKnight would have said, oh, yes, this is my girlfriend's car, and when asked the question, do you drive it? I drive it all the time. I drive it everywhere. She's great to me. Would there have been a story? Would there have been anything? Don't think so. No. <laughs> so what I'm saying, a lot of times, these things are glamorized and make front-page stories for the media. So it just, uh, whenever you can get somebody when they're down, you try to knock them out. I mean, and, and, it, and this is what it's all about. I mean, you've got to be able to go with the glory of it, and then you've got to remember that you're only as good as your last game or your last touchdown. So that's this is why I'm saying this game is so important to USC, and I'm not trying to make it more important than any other game they play, but if you were to look at it, I would think it is. It really is. Look at Oregon State last night against BYU. Now, you know, I don't have to tell anybody this. I think they all feel the same way. I was embarrassed for Oregon State. Here's a team that was only a few points away from going to the Rose Bowl game and playing Ohio State. Show up and play like that in the Maker Bowl Las Vegas against BYU. Rather than cut down Oregon State, I'm going to build up BYU. That team played great football, sound football. I mean, no big plays, didn't bend, didn't have big runs, tough runners, good schemes offensively in the passing game, taking advantages of the coverages and so on that Oregon State ran. Good field position, never made mistakes. So let's give credit to BYU rather than say Oregon didn't show up to play. But that's the first thing everybody says. Oh, the team didn't show up to play, they didn't want to play, but they lost their last game to Oregon. You know, you can't keep making making mistakes. Uh, excuses for people. Let's give credit where credit is due. Look at Wyoming, a team that was 6-6, six and six, beats Fresno State in the New Mexico Bowl in overtime. And they're, what, 12-point underdog. So maybe there's something to this Mount West Conference. TCU beat BYU 37 to nothing, And now they match TCU and Boise State in the Fiesta Bowl. The way I look at that, I say, hey, this isn't fair. You're maybe putting 
in the country playing each other. Maybe TCU should be playing Florida and Boise State should be playing Iowa to see really how strong the WAC and the Mountain West Conferences are. Because we keep saying the Mountain West Conference can't play with the Pac-10 schedule every week. Maybe they can. But when it comes crunch time, the Pac-10 should step up and say, as they did last year. Now, last year they went 5-0 and in bowl games. But they should step up and say, hey, we are the toughest conference in America, as everybody was giving them credit for. And I think another good example of that is going to be tonight, Wednesday night, when Utah plays Cal. Here's another Pac-10 team playing a Mountain West Conference team in Utah, and I think Utah has won more straight bowl games than any other team in the country. I think they've won eight straight bowl games. So though this is going to be a real challenge for the Pac-10. So I'm just throwing this all out so when people look at the whole picture, they got a chance to understand what's going on. Okay, Coach. And uh, Well, let's get to a couple of questions then. And I think everyone's going to be tuning in. It was disappointing for Pac-10 fans, and they weren't real happy on the message boards about that Oregon State game. I think especially because they came out and played so flat. And it's frustrating for, I think, a lot of USC fans that people have emailed me and posted where you see a team play against the Trojans as hard as they possibly can play. And even though USC beat Oregon State, I mean, they were pulling out all the stops. And then you see them play a team like BYU and just fall flat on their face. I think it's frustrating for Trojan fans because they're like, why Why doesn't that happen when they play USC? Why are they, they you know, it's like they're shortchanging themselves when they play other tough opponents that aren't named USC. Well, like I said, I, I, I have no excuse for them showing up flat. I mean, BYU is a good football team. Remember, BYU beat Oklahoma the first game of the year. I don't know how many people forgot that, but I saw that on national TV. In fact, I was talking to the Oklahoma coaches when they were at Bob Stoops' uh, Christmas party last night, uh, and they were watching the game. And they were telling me what a great team BYU was and how they, uh, you know, really played well against them. So, uh, But then they got, it, like, skunked by Florida State, right? They got killed. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> Florida State went right in the Pro Bowl and did that to them. They certainly did. I agree with you 100%. But still, they're a 10-2 football team, and they're 11-2 football team now. And they're a team that you have to respect. They've got a winning tradition. And for Oregon State to go in and play like that, it wasn't, I'm not going to give them an excuse they were flat. I'm not. Because I didn't see anybody wide open. I didn't see anybody drop really passes, except that one that tied in dropped in the end zone. They were covered. And they were attacked with schemes in their zones and coverages like a real technician does. And when they needed a hard running running back, look at the running backs, 237 pounds. Sure, the pass blockers first, but when they get the call to run the football, you better tackle them. They don't run 4 4, they don't run 4 5. Those running backs run 4 7, 4 8, maybe. But they pound you. And they have a reason for what they're doing. And I think that's what I'm impressed about as far as BYU. All right. Well, let's get to some of these questions here. Um... We have a question from Terry and TD, our, our, one of our buddies here on the podcast. And uh, people have asked me this a number of times, Coach, and maybe you could kind of give your unique perspective as a former coach. Um, there's a lot of things for USC to get back on track, and we've talked about them many times on the, the Peristyle podcast and on the message boards and all that stuff. But Terry wants to know, do these questions about, like, why do you run to the short side or not use the tight end enough or... Um, different pass routes and things like that. Do those questions ever get posed to Coach Carroll himself? And uh, I think us in the media, when we'll have our little scrums, 
sometimes you ask somewhat technical questions or you, you ask about, well, what was the philosophy doing that? Like maybe, you know, but it's never a, I mean, you don't usually get the kind of answer that maybe you, you would want to hear or whatever. It's just they kind of use their coach speak and, you know, they have their own game plan. So they're, they're not, the coaches and Coach Carroll don't seem to be, they, they don't want to discuss your strategy with the media. I mean, we're just members of the media. We're asking the questions. And it's not like they Coach Carroll come out and, and sit down and like, let's have a film session and go over why we do certain things. You don't really get that kind of stuff. But from, from your perspective, Coach, I mean, has stuff like that ever happened where uh, someone from the media asked you a question and made you think and you'd go back and change your philosophy or how does that work that interaction I, I know some of the fans want us to really kind of pose these questions but you know we do the best we can but you, you don't usually there's not usually that kind of relationship where they're going to be sharing their inside secrets with you on what they're doing for a game plan you know there aren't any secrets in football and that's another thing there aren't any secrets in football Everyone uh, knows what someone's trying to attempt to do, and, and the media should not be intimidated and ask, uh, how come uh, Anthony McCoy wouldn't utilize more? They were playing a man defense, and it's a mismatch, or why didn't he ever put in the slot and try to mismatch him, or why isn't he uh, run more drag routes, or why this, or why that, or why aren't you throwing to your backs more? You threw to your backs in one game this year. That was the Ohio State game, and that took you right down the field for your final score to win the game, and you never did it again. Uh, we just want to know why. If the defense didn't give it to you, then fine. Tell us that. But uh, I think that I don't know why they don't use them more. You've heard me talk the entire year about USC and the talent that they have. And their offensive line, I felt this year, didn't play up to what everybody expected them to play. I didn't think their secondary played up to the level of what everybody expected them to play. Uh, I think their linebackers were not at a caliber of what people have seen in the past and what they've been used to coaching. Obviously, as you see with the success that those linebackers had this year in the NFL, I think the defensive line was very capable but didn't play consistently on the other side of the football. I think the rotation of the backs and so on never had a rhythm that gave a back an opportunity to get a feel of what was going on. And, uh, and, and, and all of these things are just my opinion. So if Coach Carroll listens to this, it's just my opinion of what I see as if I was scouting, scouting the team. I would be much more fearful of USC if certain things happened that they were to utilize these skilled great athletes against me. And they basically, I don't think, do that. I think they simplified it so much that it became boring to watch. Well, when when you were a coach and then media members of the media would ask you questions if if they felt you weren't running the ball enough or what whatever it was about the game plan, did you ever, I mean, what kind of answers would you give and would you ever go back and think, hey, maybe we should do that a little bit more. Maybe they, that guy has a point. Was that something you would incorporate into your coaching? No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, sometimes I got a lot of the great ideas from the media. Really? Okay. I got great ideas. I mean, I want you to know, sometimes you're too close to the program where you really don't see what you should be seeing. Sometimes I got a lot of great ideas from fans and boosters and, and people around the program and parents. As you're darn right. You know, I never knew that Randall was a punter in high school. And all of a sudden he became a punter for us and was first-team All-American. I didn't know some of these things. You're not, you don't know everything, and, you know, it's one thing or another that you pick up and you utilize 
And when someone would ask me at a press conference, how come you're rotating your backs, or I'm doing this, or how come you're, not, you're running the ball more than you're passing the ball, or whatever you want to do, I, I would try to answer the question in a football term. I wouldn't avoid the question. I would try to come up and actually explain it, that, you know, that we're having trouble man blocking or we're, we're not as physical as we thought we were, so we're having a difficult time of running the football or, or you know, passing the ball is where we're at because we just cannot get the run unless we come off the pass with it. Right now that's what we're planning on doing because there aren't any secrets. And, you know, when you try to hide things or BS people, can't do that. It's got to be more than raw, raw to the media. But you've got to be, you know, give real answers because people expect real answers. And, and I think that's part of the responsibility of a coach to when you're asked a question, and you do protect your players. Don't get me wrong. You protect your players. And I used to say, don't pick on my players, pick on me. Because I'm the one that's being paid to, to motivate them or put them in a position to be successful. If I misevaluated them and they didn't live up to their expectation of what I thought they should be for our program, that is my mistake, not the player's mistake. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that's all part of a philosophy of what a head coach wants to share with the media. Rather than write a book and talk about it, they should be able to just talk about it to anyone who asks a question and not intimidate but to answer the question in a way where the coach is answering it, yet protecting his player, but answering what the question was. Not saying I'm not going to talk about it. Okay, makes sense, Coach. All right, let's get to one last question from Mark. Um, there's been some renewed talk about Big Ten expansion, trying to get some an extra team in there to go to a playoff, at least have 12, 12 teams in the Big Ten now. Um, you know, That's what the talk is. Obviously, Notre Dame was their big choice. Mark wanted to know... If uh, the Pac-10, you think, might start considering that, um, you know, there's obviously some opportunities with Colorado and some of the, the teams in Utah. Um, some of those schools don't really have the, as many spring sports or maybe the basketball tradition, but it just depends on what, you know, you want to do add in there. I mean, there's some strong football programs there, and you talked about, especially with the Mountain West, a Utah or a BYU, something like that. They, they would definitely bring something on the, the football side of things, but... He wanted, he wanted to get us to get someone's opinion, and I thought you would be a good person to talk to about maybe the pros and cons of, of doing something like that. And there, there does seem to be an advantage if you have you know, a playoff and have the extra teams. And I know the Pac-10 has the round robin where you get to play everybody, but having that extra game might bring a little bit more prestige to the Pac-10 and, and you know, bring a little extra money in the conference. But what, what were your overall thoughts on the expansion for the Pac-10 if you think it's something they need to do? No, I don't think they need to do it, but they play each other. And I think that the Pac-10 would not bring anybody in. They wouldn't bring in a Utah. They wouldn't bring in a BYU. But they not saying anything against universities. But if you're going to bring somebody in, you've got to bring somebody in that, first of all, brings something to the table. Exposure, marketing, more television contracts, a higher revenue for generated because of the marketing areas and so on. And another thing, when you bring two teams into the Pac-10, you're going to split the Rose Bowl game uh, among two more people. And you got to wait, you got to say, Am I, are we going to realize that much more revenue uh, by bringing two in when we have to share the package we get from the Rose Bowl? And, and that's not necessarily true. I think the, the Pac-10 will be, if they ever do it, I'm not going to say they're never going to do it. 
but it would be the last conference to do it since they're playing each other anyway. And what would be just a repeat game? It'd be a repeat game of somebody they already played because they'd be six in each division. They'd have to bring two people in. Now, of course, the Big uh, Big Ten wants to bring someone in, uh, like a rivalry, like let's say it's Pitt. Pitt and Penn State rivalry bring, bring in two people. Uh, and they have six and six, and they go ahead and do it. But they are already they're at eleven, and they don't play everybody each year. And I think what the Big Ten wants to do is they they're finishing their season too early, and they're not getting the necessary practice days, and they're not getting what they want out of their season. So I think they want to go to that format eventually for revenue. But I don't think the Pac-10 has even given it a thought. I think they've talked about it at meetings and so on. But the feeling I get, it's a long ways away. But they had their opportunity a few years ago, I'd say 10 years ago, to bring two teams in. And they didn't do that. They chose not to do that. And the team stayed with the Big 12. And I don't think they would bring in a BYU and they bring in a Utah for other reasons, too. It's very important academically and, and eligibility rules and all the different things that are there that teams uh, have different advantage of that some teams in the pack can don't. So it's revenue as well as all the other things, too. All right, Coach. Well, thanks very much, and um, thanks for joining me while I'm in uh, Nashville celebrating the holidays. And I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and enjoy the rest of your holidays with your family and have a great time. I guess we'll talk to you next week. We certainly will talk next week, and I know we'll have a lot to talk about regarding the Emerald Bowl, too. Yeah, Emerald Bowl coming up from uh, San Francisco, California. But thanks again, Coach, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you very much. Everyone else, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with Dan Wykey. He's up in San Francisco. We'll talk about the Emerald Bowl and everything that's going on with the team. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, still in Nashville, or outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in Charlotte, actually, a little town, 45 minutes or so outside of Nashville, and we're talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wykey, who's up in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, at the practice facility, College of San Francisco. What's going on, Dan? Nothing much, Ryan. Just, uh, you know, watching a little practice um, for the second day here and uh, soaking in the crisp, clean Bay Area air. Uh, is, it, is it a little brisk up there? It is a little cold, a little windy. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it's, it's gorgeous. sun's shining. Um, you know, um, everybody seems pretty, pretty happy. And uh, it's a beautiful city. I don't know. Um, I really like it. I know you like it. It's definitely a lot of fun. It's fun up there. I'm jealous you I can't be up there, but doing the uh, newly engaged family tour for Christmas time. But I'm sure you guys have everything well taken care of up there. Um, just a couple couple things first off. We got some questions we wanted to get to, but you know, some big Damian Williams stuff. We mentioned it in the first part of the podcast. Uh, Scott Wolf ended up reporting that 
he was going to go pro, but I know you talked to him extensively yesterday. It's kind of going to get your thoughts, and you put up a story as well. What, get your thoughts on what the situation is going on with Damian Williams. Yeah, I mean, I, the one thing we can make clear is that, I mean, one of Wolf's sources for the story is not Damian Williams. Um, definitely not Damian Williams. Um, I spoke to Damian for about 10 minutes, traded a couple text messages with him last night after the story broke, um, and, and he's still at this point, I'm standing by his story that, you know, he's concentrating on playing football, um, he's not thinking about the draft, and he'll deal with that next week. Um, that being said, I mean, that's, that's not a sort of like something he had rehearsed, that's kind of what I wrote, that, you know, maybe in my mind when he said it, the first thing I imagined was him standing in front of a mirror, sort of like... Uh, Stuart, uh, Stuart Smiley doing like a daily affirmation almost <laughs> like just repeating it over and over and over again you know I'm good enough I'm smart enough and gosh darn it I'm not going to talk about the NFL draft um, so you know he, um, he was very very um, convincing I guess in, in, in that term in that regard but as the conversation went on um, there were little hints here and there as to kind of what his thought process was going to be um, and he said that the, the major question for him is going to be, can he be a better college football player if he returns next year? And I think that's the question that is going to probably come back with an answer of either I don't know or no. And I, it, it's hard to say that, yes, he can return and really, really shore up this part of his game because it's a major hole because that's, he's such an all-around player already that he doesn't have these major holes in this game. So I think, you know, I talked to Taylor Mays, and I asked Taylor Mays a question about, about Damian Taylor, you know, obviously went through this process last year um, and had a, a, a glaring need. He, he said he wanted to become a better mental football player. He wanted to understand the mental side of the game better. Damian Williams understands the mental side of the game. So for him, the question is strictly on the field. Can he be a better football player? Taylor Mays says no. He thinks he's shown, he thinks he's shown everything could possibly show in college. I mean, especially when you consider, you know, the success he had this year returning punts as well, if you add that to the mix. So, I think and, and he has this degree, Ryan. I mean, that's another big part of this, is that he finished school this semester, he's graduated, he's gonna, he just, all he has to do is pick up the diploma at this point. So, I, I think the signs are pointing to him leaving, um, without a doubt. That being said, Pete Carroll's still kind of holding out hope, saying that, you know, ultimately he doesn't think the facts will matter more. He thinks it's a hard, it's a hard thing. If you feel like in your heart that you're not ready for the NFL, then, you'll, then he'll be back at school. That being said, after talking to Damien for about 10 minutes yesterday, um, I, I didn't get that sense at all. I think he's ready to go. All right. Uh, thanks for the update there. And then uh, the other big story, Joe McKnight. Looks like Alan Bradford's poised to start. Uh, but it's interesting. I mean, at, at any point, you know, USC compliance could come back and say, nope, you're good to go. He, Joe McKnight flies up there. What if he flies up the day before the game? He flies up on Christmas or something. What, what's going to happen there? I guess give us the latest on what's going on with Joe McKnight, and is there a chance that he would supersede Alan Bradford, even though he's been missing these practices up there in the Bay Area? You know, I don't know. I, I think that's a really interesting question. I think the biggest thing with, with, with Joe's situation, like you said, is that they, they're, as, of right, as of right now, they're preparing to play without him. So if he were to come, I feel like the best thing to do would would be to use him as sort of almost like a bonus, which is I think how people always wanted to see Joe use it anyway. There's sort of that kind of, you know, oh, we've got this hard-running, power-running back, Alan Bradford, 
switch it up. We're going to put in this, this fast guy, Joe McKnight, um, that can do a bunch of different things. So maybe that's it. But, you know, it's hard because it shows kind of unique skill set and his ability to be a weapon in different areas of the game, even though they haven't thrown him a ton. I mean, teams know that he's capable um, and that he can be used as a decoy. We've seen USC try to give him the ball on screen passes and draw plays and stuff like that. It's hard right now because they're not practicing any of that stuff um, because he's not here. The, the the things I can tell you about this situation are, one, it wasn't Pete Carroll's decision to leave him behind. That was the university's decision, which I think tells me something. I mean, obviously you can say that that tells you that he just, um, if you want to buy the idea that, yeah, they just needed to talk to him um, some more. They needed to help, get him to help obtain financial records and stuff like that. Um, then, yeah, sure, that's part of it. I think the other part of it, though, is, too, is that um, I spoke to a university source yesterday who told me that he will not play in this game unless he is 100% cleared, that they won't risk playing an ineligible player. Just it's not worth it, especially, unfortunately, especially in the Emerald Bowl of all places. Right. This isn't the BCS National Championship game. This is the Emerald Bowl. It just does not make sense for USC to risk that, considering all the other investigations that are kind of looming right now. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think right now if you're Pete Carroll, if you're a USC fan, um, you're probably not, you probably won't see Joe McKnight um, after Christmas um, on the 26th. I, I would be very surprised if he plays at this point. That being said, I've been wrong before. And, <laughs> I mean, he could, he, he could be on a plane. He could be on a plane right now as we speak, flying, you know, Delta or something up here. And uh, getting his bags and headed over to City College of San Francisco. I mean, we don't know that. And that's kind of the, you, like you hit on it, that's the interesting part of this. What happens if he returns? Does Bradford lose his spot? You know, what, what happens if TJ Gable? I think he's even more, probably, even has a bigger opportunity than Bradford at this point because, you know, Bradford has, has gotten the rock in games. Um, Gable has not. So this could be really a chance for CJ, especially if he's considering the NFL. Um, for CJ Gable to get out there, get some extra game film in this year as a running back, and maybe impress some scouts, and, and maybe that swings his decision. So there's certainly a lot of, of variables that go into this McKnight thing that are, is, you know, it's not just as cut and dry as one guy driving a car. It, it certainly is. There, there's effects to this, um, and those effects have effects. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think, I mean, I think, and I talked with Coach Harvey Hyde after we got off the air a little bit after. Uh, I recorded his segment just before this one, and he he felt that even if McKnight came up, that it, it should be Bradford's turn. He should let him play. But you, you know, we've seen stuff like this from Pete Carroll before. Is it called it when uh, it comes to playing certain guys? And it seems like there's definitely I don't know if you want to say favorites, but there's guys that tend to get the benefit of the doubt. And Joe McKnight seems to be one of those guys. And it, that would be that's why I was asking, but. I, if I had to bet, I would bet that McKnight showed up the morning of the 26th that he he would probably get in there and play. And, it, you know, it, that would suck for Alan Bradford, and like you said, sucks for C.J. Gable, but that just seems to be the way things are now. And that obviously, like you said, he'd have to be cleared 100% so they didn't have a question about it. But uh, even so, well, yeah. you know, it, it, you would think that Bradford would still get the shot there. Yeah, I mean, I think, though, that, I mean, if he's up here, I think he deserves to play. Uh, truly, um, because that would mean that the university found that he did absolutely nothing wrong. You know that they did their their due diligence on this, and they found absolutely no impropriety. That he was one hundred percent okay, but guilty of only one thing, and that was potentially probably lying to the LA Times. 
know, and getting caught in a little bit of a lie. Right. Other than that, he did, uh, you know, if he's in San Francisco, ready to play in this game, I don't know if you should, I don't know if you punish him for doing nothing wrong. That being said, though, you know, he did miss these practices. Um, he's not playing football right now. You wonder about his stamina. You wonder about his grasp of the game plan and where his head is right now. Uh, you know, I, if he if he comes up here, I wouldn't expect him to get 20 carries. You know, I, right. I, I mean, I, I just wouldn't expect that. I would think that it would be in a limited role. Um, and just basically because you don't want to punish a guy for not doing anything wrong. It's just a, it's just a dangerous precedent. All right. Well, but, let's uh, let's look at some positive stuff up there. I mean, you've been up there. They've had they're, – they're practicing right now or they're about to start practice. Is that correct? They're practicing right now. Yeah, this is so this is Wednesday um, morning up there in the Bay Area. Well, that's what we're recording this. I'll have that up, you know, really soon after we record this. But what's what's practice has been like up there? What's it been? Is the, is the attitude of the team been pretty good, or what have you felt that's going on up there? Yeah, I think it's energized them. I think you know, I talked a little bit with um, Jeff Byers and Taylor Mays about this um, yesterday, and um, you know, they they both kind of said that you know that. After you get through that initial disappointment and where you're at in the season, once you get here, it changes because you're in a new hotel. Usually you're only in a hotel for a day, you know, or maybe two nights. You know, this is a case where they're here for, for a week, and they're getting to do all these activities as a team. Um, I mean, there's a reason why you do these things. I mean, it's a reward, and I think you do enough fun things where it starts to feel like a reward. It starts to feel like a privilege. And, and I think they're they're hyped up to play Boston College. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting matchup. I mean, with USC's kind of traditional glitz and speed versus, you know, Boston College, which is an incredibly blue-collar, um, you know, physical, kind of grinded-out team, which is sort of what USC's look like at times this year. But, I mean, it's just from a perception standpoint, it's kind of like, you know, finesse versus power. And um, it, it's, it's a really interesting matchup. I mean... I, I, I get the feeling, yeah, I know Carol's hyped about it. I know um, uh, Boston College uh, Coach Spaz is hyped about it. I'm not going to spaz Yanni. Right. And the players seem to the players seem to seem excited. Um, practice yesterday was great. Practice today has looked sharp so far. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think they're in a good mental spot. Um, I, I don't think there are any residual kind of effects of disappointment. And um, I don't know. I thought that. I, I, I think as of right now, things look okay. They, I will say this, um, and this might not be popular, but I know this to be true, that there are people on this team very disappointed in Anthony McCoy, Tyron Smith, and Avril Spicer. I know that to be true. Well, that, I mean, I think Pete Car- Carroll mentioned something about that where you're kind of letting everybody down. That's what people have felt like? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, that there's that feeling that the word give up, um, hasn't been used a lot. Um, you know, like, Carroll was very careful to say that he doesn't know if they gave up on the year. But, I mean, that that these people had um, things to take care of and they didn't take care of them. And people know that. Players know that. And so I think that there are people definitely disappointed with that, and that is, I think, a distraction. It's been a distraction for our team. All right. Maybe, maybe, maybe even more so than the McKnight thing. Well, I mean, I, I think that kind of came out of the blue, and especially, you know, a guy like Tyron Smith, I mean, you're starting every game. He's a younger guy. Maybe you kind of give him a pass. But when you're a senior, a guy like Anthony McCoy... And you're hurt for half the year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those guys... You know what I mean? Those guys were both injured a lot this year. 
I don't know. I mean, I think Anthony McCoy only had one or two classes. And how do you not? Yeah, it... Spicer is not Spicer is not important as far as not no he's not important but he hasn't because he's been out a lot of times you didn't really see the defensive line suffer I think without him in there but you would think you know classes would kind of be a priority when you're not playing and same thing with Anthony McCoy when he was out it was a big hit to USC and it's just the importance of keeping him on the field even though he really didn't do much against Arizona I, I think that he's proved that he could be a big part of the offense so that, that I, I think, if anyone, if, I don't know if the players express this, but he'd probably be the most disappointing of any of them. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the most disappointing in terms of, of you know, yeah, it really stinks that he's not here. Um, I, think, I think Tyron Smith is the most disappointing in terms of, wow, what are we going to do? This guy's been a starter the entire season. So, Beckles look good, though, um, and, and that's, that's positive. He's had a, uh, a, this is a chance for him, obviously, to kind of audition for next season um, and, and maybe try and grab hold of a starting spot going into the spring, which it certainly looks like he's capable of and on that right track. So, I don't know, I, I think that's one of those interesting little kind of sub-story bowl, um, story, I'm sorry, sub-bowl storylines or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things that's under the surface, like something you're not going to read about probably. You know, in depth in the Daily News or, or, or the LA Times or something like that. But if you're if you're there every day and you're covering this team and you're kind of looking at, at things, um, you know, that's one of those things that if you're looking to the future, that's certainly a big story. How Matt Khalil handles this? Yeah, I mean, he's a big-bodied kid. I think he's like six seven or six eight. You know, well over three hundred pounds. I mean, he's a, he's definitely a, a different kind of tackle. Uh, he's just an enormous dude. I think he's probably like the tallest guy on the team. Uh, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does out there and see if he can handle the the pass rush from Boston College. He's a great kid too. He's a kid dude. That's a really hard worker that has never complained about redshirting or anything like that. So it'll it'll, it'll be fun to see how he does. I know he's excited about it. All right, Dan. Well, we'll, we'll let you get back in there to practice. Thanks for catching up with us. We uh. Wasn't sure. I was hoping the podcast was going to work because it's a little different format when I'm on the road. But it worked, seemed like it worked okay. Hopefully it sounds good to everybody out there. And uh, enjoy the rest of your time and your Christmas over there in San Francisco. Yeah, I wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. And uh, look forward to uh, talking more USC football in the new year. For sure. We'll be getting your reaction uh, next week on the podcast. Everyone else back in 30 seconds. We're going to answer some of your, more of your questions and some of your recruiting questions. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you for tuning in our pre-Christmas and pre-bowl game episode. We did this one from the road. Hopefully it sounded okay to everybody. I wanted to remind everyone uh, of our charity golf tournament, our first annual uscfootball.com 
charity golf tournament. Uh, it benefits a better LA. If you need more information, go to parastylegolf.com. You can sign up there. You can sign up for the dinner at night if you don't want to golf. The dinner will be talking about all the USC recruits. The uh, the uh, tournament is on February 5th, which is a Friday. We will have a dinner that evening, early that evening, and we'll show video and talk about all the newly signed USC recruits because that day is two days after signing day where USC will sign there. Looks like looks like it's going to be a great 2010 class. Um, we had some questions we wanted to get to real quick. Uh, I got Gerard Gerard's feedback. First, I wanted to uh, address a question from Doug McLaughlin. He said he's an 88-year-old alumni. Him and his wife are also uh, is also a Trojan alum, and this was his first question. Kind of a question we've seen a bunch of times before, and uh, but we maybe try to address it a little bit when we talked about the Joe McKnight, Alan Bradford situation, things like that. But it was about Mitch Mustaine, and this has been a, a point of contention for me for quite a while. He, you know, he kind of proved himself uh, in the SEC, winning eight eight games that he started and not losing uh, as the first string quarterback. Uh, he hasn't really seen any significant playing time in three years. Why is his name uh, not even not even mentioned? And um, yeah, there was definitely some questions there, and we appreciate the question from you, Doug. Uh, it, it, it's hard to say, and you know, I, I know some people have been to practice as much as I have. They they weren't really impressed with Mustaine in practice, and I, I think I was more impressed that if you if you ask me, I think he played better than sometimes Pete Carroll would say, or even sometimes other members of the media would say. I don't know if I just had a soft spot for him, but it certainly seemed like he played a little bit better than sometimes it was perceived in practice. But there were certainly times, and I'll admit this, when the race was open, and it didn't mean not just this year or the year before, there was chances for him to, when it looked like, all right, this is a chance for Mitch Mustaine to step up, and if he plays really well, he's going to be in line to start or be in that you know serious conversation to, to get in the starting group. And then it just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't come to fruition. And for whatever reason, if it was a spring game or whatever, just things didn't seem to kind of go his way and he didn't look that good and I, I think those were chances where not only could he won over the coaches but I think he could have won over some of the fans and there would have been more of an outcry like hey what, what's going on here why is uh, Mitch Mustaine not in there now having said all that I do think there have been opportunities where you don't maybe didn't need to start but he could have got a series or two you know during the game where you, you know have an opportunity to kind of prove yourself and Doug also mentioned that maybe he didn't play well in practice, but sometimes there's guys that don't play well in practice, but they get into the game and do really well. And that certainly could be the case with Mustaine. Uh, when he was at Arkansas, I don't think he was asked to do as much. Uh, you had Felix Jones, you had Darren McFadden in the backfield. I mean, I, any of us could probably hand off to those guys and do well, but I don't think he'd win eight games. I mean, he definitely had to do some things there uh, you know, and perform at a high level, but so for me, you know, Pete Carroll's philosophy isn't to use any kind of rotating quarterbacks. I don't think you should rotate quarterbacks, but I think there were some opportunities where you could have put him in and give him a shot to, to get a couple series and just see what he could do. So if there was an opportunity for him down the line, if Matt Barkley goes down, uh, you know, God forbid it's some kind of injury early in the game against Boston College, for example, you would have a little more confidence in Mustaine because he did see some significant playing time. So, Doug, it's hard to answer that. Uh, it just seemed to be he was kind of snake-bitten when he got to USC. He was certainly snake-bitten when he left Arkansas with all the controversy and the soap operas and stuff that was going on down there. So, 
you know, we wish him the best. He's a great kid, and I hope that uh, that he does well. Maybe he does a, a Matt Castle and and performs and, and you know gets in the gets on with an NFL team and ends up being a starting quarterback someday. So we will definitely have to wait and see on that. All right. Uh, thanks for du- that question, Doug. We have a few other questions, a couple quick ones, recruiting ones that I got Gerard to email me some thoughts on. Gerard's uh, wanted to express, and uh, if you have a recruiting question, obviously questions podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. But if you have a question, he would prefer a recruiting question, prefer it not to be, what are USC's chances with Joe Smith? Um, those are really kind of vague, and it's hard to say what are the chances. You're not going to assign a percentage to what a 17-year-old kid is doing. But if you have real specific stuff or you want to, you know, you know about visits or what did he think about this or did he, you know, like that school, things like that. I mean, I, I think maybe ask questions a little bit more along those lines and Gerard will be more inclined to to answer all of these. But we try to answer all anyway, but he, I think he's getting a little tired of some of the chance questions. So anyway, um, question from Kevin. When, when will Lake Seastrunk take his visit to USC. That is scheduled in January. We did have some tidbits of that in the uh, war room if you want to check that out on uscfootball.com. I know there's been some rumors. People think that he's dropped consideration from USC and it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. It, you know, This definitely could come down to the last week or two of the year. Um, and it, you know, it, the fact that Joe McKnight goes pro or not could make a difference in what goes on here and how Alan Bradford plays. There's a lot of factors that could be going in there, but he definitely he did seem to enjoy Oregon quite a bit. We'll have to we'll keep following Lake Seastrunk and see what goes on there. Uh, JD in Washington want to know about the defensive back class. There seems to be very fluid at this point. Um, Deion Bailey is a guy already committed. Anthony Brown already in there, already committed. But there's some other guys he mentioned. Um, Tony Jefferson was definitely someone USC was in on, and he's had kind of a, a roller coaster. Uh, commitment ride, committing and decommitting from different teams, but he did commit to Oklahoma last week. He's a December grad, and it looks like he's going to enroll early. Um, the guys that are left, USC's going to recruit from uh, Sean Parker, uh, Dietrich Riley, and, and Marcus Flowers. Uh, Flowers might be the toughest guy right now. Uh, Arizona's really heavy in on him, and you know it might be hard to stay in state, so we'll have to kind of see what happens there. Um, Sean Parker's someone I saw in person several times uh, definitely a baller and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know kind of where he goes but there's those are the kind of the, the guys that are left and you know I, I think Gerard's talked many times about the importance of bringing in some some DBs in this class and uh, you know it looks like they're in on some really good guys alright so those are the questions we had this week that is our show thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast we will be back next week after Christmas break hope you guys all enjoy uh, your Christmas time and enjoy the the uh, Emerald Bowl where USC will be taking on Boston College. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.